Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show we focus on football in Cameroon, where it's been a year of mixed fortunes. After becoming the surprise winners of the Africa Cup of Nations with a young team, the Indomitable Lions were then very uninspiring at the Confederations Cup in Russia and failed to qualify for next year's World Cup. But a National Football Academy has just been set up and we find out more. I said we should also give opportunity to young players and we believe at the end we're going to have as many youngest as possible that will be succeeding in football also. There's a generation that is going. We should think about the future. We think we're going to have a very good national team. Also, we speak to Nigeria and Chelsea winger Victor Moses, looking back at 2017 and telling us about his childhood. Moses arrived in England as an asylum-seeking orphan and ended up as a Premier League player. And I've always believed in my ability that that opportunity is going to come, and, um, I'm gonna, and I'm going to take the opportunity and, uh, and I will look back. Plus a look at the English Premier League as Liverpool continue to bang in the goals and Manchester City continue their winning run. But we start in Cameroon where it's been a year of mixed fortunes in football. After becoming surprise winners of the Africa Cup of Nations in Gabon in February with a young team, the Indomitable Lions were then very uninspiring at the Confederations Cup in Russia. They also failed to qualify for next year's World Cup and two weeks ago we had a report on the poor state of women's football in Cameroon. This week, coach Hugo Bruce failed to make it to the final three-man shortlist for the CAF Coach of the Year award. But in a very positive development, a national football academy has just been set up and former women's national team coach Carl Eno Ngachu has been appointed director general of the academy, which is known in short as Anna Foot. Planet Sport Football Africa's Ngia Eno Eyong spoke to Ngachu to find out more about the academy. It's an administrative public establishment specialising in football. We are going to deal mostly with the youth that is under 13. And we have organised the academy in such a way that we are going to be represented in the 10 regions. The reason why we appointed all heads and the have assistant in the 10 regions. So they are there to select 50 players per region. The entire Cameroon is going to make about 500 players, both women and men. Now we're going to take players between the ages of 11, 12 years. But now we can have talented players of 10 years. But there is the general manager to recruit after having sent a number of experts to evaluate the chance if he's a genius as concerned football. But however, in the academy, it is six years of training. And after that, we're going to make sure those players integrate the different clubs in Cameroon. In the month of September, we're going to send a team of experts that will select 50 out of the 500. That is 25 girls, 25 boys. And that will going to be the first batch of the National Football Academy. They'll be coming to Yaoundé because Yaoundé is going to be the headquarters of the National Football Academy. So there we're going to launch them, we're going to feed them, we'll go to school there, and we'll continue the education. 
By doing that, they are going to have a future. If they don't succeed in football, they might also succeed educational-wise. We thought it wise that at Anafood, while we'll be grooming the players, some of them would have to specialize in certain domains, like sport management, physiotherapists, sport journalism, those who are interested in visual analysis, coaching, sport medicine, stadium managers, team press officers. We are going to have all those programs. And as of next year, we are going to implement that You've insisted on the parity between both men and women, 25 girls, uh, 25 boys. Are you already planning the future of Cameroon's women's football? What I have is because of women, and I think I was appointed because of the performances I had with the women national team of Cameroon. We don't have academy for young women here in Cameroon, and uh, this is going to be the first opportunity. I believe women can also succeed in football. And if I did that with the women of the national team, why not with these youth players? I started with the under 17 women national team. I have to groom those girls, educate them, and even had to meet some parents I'm telling them that you can also earn a living to football. And today, everybody is believing what I was saying. All the players that had that age group around 2008, they've succeeded in their lives. They've succeeded in changing the lives of many. The reason why I said we should also give opportunity to young players, and we believe at the end we're going to have as many youngest as possible that will be succeeding in football also. There's a generation that is going. We should think about the future. We think we're going to have a very good national team. Mr. Director General, you talk about the future. Many Cameroonians, especially football lovers, appreciated your appointment and they look at you as the man who is going to take Cameroon's football to higher heights with this football academy. What's the overview that you make of the current state of football in the country? Football in Cameroon is so pathetic because for the past 80 years, there have been this battle between leaders of Cameroon Football Federation and it has affected a lot, not only youth football, but also the women and men. If nothing is done, it's going to be difficult to catch up because for the past eight years we've done nothing, nothing to prove upon our football. I don't want to say I'm the messiah, but I want to say that we're going to contribute. But for us to succeed, we also need the collaboration of everybody. The federation should be stable because they are the ones to organize youth championship. If they don't do that, it'll be difficult for us to evaluate our players. Remember that in the past years, they've never organized a good youth championship in Cameroon. We're going to give them reason why they should organize championship for the youth because you cannot train players without evaluating their level of performances. It is only after evaluation that we can really assess our work. We also need the support of stakeholders because what we're doing is to develop our youth. You've always spoken about your beliefs as a Christian guiding you um, all along as a football coach. Is it still the case now that you're a director general? Of course, when I come in the morning, I make sure I pray before starting my work. I always put God in front. The reason why when I always pray, I ask for wisdom. Because you manage people, you need a lot of wisdom. That's Carl Eno Ngachu, former coach of Cameroon's women's national football team and now appointed director general of the National Academy. Talking there to Ngia Eno Ayong. Uh, well, Solomon, considering that Cameroon won the Africa Cup of Nations this year, as you find it surprising that Ngachu said there that the state of football in Cameroon is pathetic. Steve, I, I definitely believe in what uh, Ngachu said about the state of football in Cameroon has been pathetic. You know, it's been pathetic for a very long time and you don't have to factor in one section to uh, decide if it's pathetic or not. Yes, Cameroon played well and won the AFCON this year, but that's not really enough. You know, if you look at Cameroon's performance at the AFCON earlier this year, 
I think there was uh, quite a bit of uh, a bit of luck and a bit of also uh, matches that came in a bit easily for them. But I totally believe in what Ngachu said. Cameroon has a talent. Uh, they have one of the most talented set of uh, players. But football is not just about the talent that you have or how you perform on the pitch of play, but also administratively what has been going on in Cameroon football. I think for about five to six years now, there's been a lot of administrative problems. Case of different factions competing for, for the stake and also for leadership of Cameroon football. And also that affected the coach. And sometimes you have the coach or the coaching team not representing a certain interest group within the Cameroon football leadership. And also there was also quite a bit of political involvement in Cameroon football. So there's quite a lot of division uh, with the people that are running football. So obviously that has affected the national team and it has affected the female national team, the men's national team, and it also affected, you know, the academies, the youth youth football. Definitely it's been, it's been pathetic and there's not been a lot of organization. There's always uh, payment issues with the players there's the players coming up and some of them flying themselves down for their games and there's been players saying certain things about certain leaders and administrators and and that is very very sad unless you put your house in order where administration is gotten right the national team you get it right the youth football side you get it right the coaching side you get it right you're always gonna gonna suffer and Cameroon football is not really gonna achieve its full potential because right now it is not achieving his its full potential yes and what do you think about the way that the academy will work investing in youth and having equal representation of women there I really feel this is a, a very great template in a running uh, youth football and running uh, football academies. We don't have a lot of that across African continent and, and, and it's really sad. But it's good that in, in the DG, the director of this uh, academy, we have somebody who has worked with uh, youth football when it comes to women's football. So And, and to get somebody like that that, that would go in and, and try to uh, bring in some sort of sanity and, and invest and get equal representation and go across the country uh, to scout for young players, uh, both male and female, uh, to be able to identify them and to bring them up to Yaoundé where they would be a part of the National Football Academy. I think that's just important. I really do feel that in terms of football, in a few years' time, if Cameroon could be, is able to uh, you know, run the academy appropriately and also get, get it right from a, from a leadership perspective when it comes to the Football Association, uh, Cameroon would definitely succeed and, and do very, very well. Yes, well, let's uh, hope that Cameroon can fulfil all of that vast potential that they hold in football. They have achieved uh, good things in the past, but uh, surely could do far greater things. Well, thanks a lot to Solomon. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programmes too in our archive. Also, you can listen to the show on our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com, and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. Well, now to our interview with Nigeria and Chelsea winger Victor Moses. 
Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji spoke to Moses on Skype, first looking back at 2017. Remember, in the first part of the year, Moses won the league with Chelsea. Then going into this new season, not quite as many starts for him, but Moses had the honour of making it onto the five-man shortlist for the BBC African Footballer of the Year and the shortlist for the CAF Player of the Year, although didn't get onto the final three that was announced this week. Here's Victor Moses with his thoughts on this year. Obviously, I've done very well last season, and uh, thanks to thanks to our Chelsea manager gave me the opportunity last season to express myself. He's actually played a key role in, in, in my success at Chelsea, and I just want to say thanks to him. And uh, also, obviously, winning the league is uh, it's another bonus for us. So it's uh, it's, it's something uh, that people saw that I actually done well for myself and achieved what, what I was meant to achieve, and that's by winning the Premier League. And, um, I've really worked hard to make sure um, I do well at Chelsea and then I, I said everyone knows I've been along three times to a different club but coming back here I know it wasn't going to be easy and I've, I've, and I've always believed in my ability that that opportunity is going to come and um, I'm going to take the opportunity and, uh, and I will look back and I thank God that we had a manager like um, the manager that we've got today he came in and he gave me the opportunity it gives, gives everyone an opportunity to go out and express themselves and um, I'm pleased that, that, that he actually saw the hard work that I was doing and uh, the, 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 only, the only payback that I can do is, for, is to work hard for him to make sure that I didn't let him down really so a great year, no doubt, for Victor Moses. And Oluwashina also asked Moses about his childhood. It is an amazing story that Moses has. He arrived in England as an asylum-seeking orphan, settling in Croydon in South London. Moses told Oluwashina about those who helped him along the way, including Crystal Palace Football Club, who sent him to a private school in South London called Whitgift. It's a different culture and stuff like that, but um, it was very difficult. But at the end of the day, um, when I started going to school and stuff like that, I started getting used to things and um, obviously speaking the language as well. When I first came, I couldn't speak the language. So, but after that, when you get adapted to, to the school and, and friends, and you can see yourself getting adapted, and um, yeah, it was difficult to start with. Yeah. Yeah. So, as a young man, you came into the country without parents and. Um, older ones looking after you and all that. How was it getting scouted by um, a team like Crystal Palace at a very young age? It was it was good to start with. Uh, I started playing for a Sunday league team called Cosmos. It was a good Sunday league team. And um, when, when they saw me play, they knew I had the talent. And um, they, they saw the world was playing. And um, when I started playing for Cosmos, that's when Palace heard about me. They were the ones that actually told Palace about me. Then Palace came around. And um, we had the match that day, I think. It was on a Sunday. Palace, actually, they, they came to have a look. Yeah, and then Palace saw what they, they, they liked what they saw. And then they took it from there, and then they, they told me to come, for, to, to come for a trial. How significant was your time at We Gift School in settling down and really establishing yourself? For giving me the opportunity to go to a private school, which was very good, and it was very good for myself and for my education as well. And uh, obviously, when I fell into a gift, it was a totally different, it was a totally different ball games, private school, and uh, it was it was spoke differently. And uh, obviously, the, the accents get different from from what we speak in Croydon and, and, and stuff like that. But, um, but it was good to go go to school like that and experience what, what private school is about. And um, obviously, the, the way they treat the treatment there was very good, and the, the education. Um, side of it was, was very amazing. And, um, 
I was I was very happy and glad that Palace gave me the opportunity to go to a school like that. I really enjoyed my time there, to be honest. You had former Chelsea and Arsenal player Colin Pitt um, as games master. How much of an influence was he on you um, in terms of your learning football at that age? He was a football manager there in the school. Mm. And, um, he, he's always encouraged me to make sure that the best I can to, to become a professional footballer. And at that time, we were very young. He's always believed in me when, when, when we used to play school games and um, he's always encouraging me every time he sees me and um, he started chat with me. He was a good man and um, I always obviously like being around him because when all the people are like, giving advice, you just go take it and um, obviously work hard. And then the most important thing that he's always says to me is that um, you go work hard as a footballer, obviously talent will take it there, hard work. It's, it's what's going to help you and um, obviously I kind of had that into my game as well, which, which was very good and that's Victor Moses talking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji. An amazing story there in brief. So Stuart, uh, what strikes you there? I thought the most significant thing on the interview with Victor was when he talked about believing in himself because many have doubted him over the years, and he's been proved right. Um, he started, of course, with three seasons at Crystal Palace from 2007, without ever really establishing himself, then had three seasons at Wigan, the first two really more off the bench than starting, and he did have one good season at Wigan, which was enough for Chelsea to sign him. But again, he only got 12 starts at Chelsea in two seasons, followed by loan spells at Liverpool, Stoke and West Ham. And it was only then when Antonio Conte became the Chelsea manager last season that he changed the playing system and Victor became a regular starter as a wing-back. And of course, Chelsea went on to win the league. This season, it's been a bit harder for him with only nine starts in 18 Premier League games. And... That's just the problem of being in a squad of 25 internationals. Yeah, as you said, he lived in London most of his life, in fact, coming when he was 11, and he represented England at under 17, under 19 and under 21 before opting to play for Nigeria at senior level. Now, he took that decision when he was at Wigan, and I think it was probably a quite a pragmatic decision. There was an opportunity to play for Nigeria, Whereas playing for Wigan, he was some distance from a call-up for the England senior team. I think this is always an interesting one, and players sometimes get criticised for choosing a country of convenience. But Victor has gone, in this case, for the country of his birth. And he's played in the World Cup for Nigeria, so it's all gone well for him. And... Club-wise, he's certainly now well-established at Chelsea, but I think he may just have to accept that the way the Premier League works, he will be rotated, he'll be in and out, he'll play perhaps 20 to 25 games in the season rather than uh, all 38. Yes, that's a squad rotation, isn't it? Let's hope that 2018 will be a great year for Nigeria's Victor Moses. Stay with us, Stuart. Uh, more on the English Premier League shortly here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. 
And now we turn to social media. And last week we asked which team would you say has shown the most improvement in 2017?、Uh, we mentioned Morocco, who qualified for the World Cup for the first time in 20 years. Uganda, who played in their First Nations Cup in 39 years and came second in their group in World Cup qualifying. Burkina Faso reached the semi finals of the Nations Cup, and Senegal went to the top of the African rankings with their highest ever world ranking of 23 in the latest edition of those FIFA rankings. So we asked which team would you say has shown the most improvement this year? On Facebook first, and Abli O. Sise in the Gambia says, I definitely would go for the Taranga Lions of Senegal because they bounced back in the best possible way after their huge disappointment at the Africa Cup of Nations to leapfrog all the other teams in the continent during the latter stages of 2017.、Uh, yes,、uh, Abli there、uh, alluding to the quarter final exit at the Nations Cup for Senegal. Isaiah Oche Oyibo in Nigeria also picks the Taranga Lions. He says, due to their world ranking and also because they qualified for the 2018 World Cup. To South Africa now, and Ndo Chanduko Koptashan says, I'll go with two sides who've improved greatly. That's Morocco and Uganda. And in the Gambia, Domingo Mensa says, For me, I would go for Nigeria. Remember, they qualified for the World Cup in style. Moving on to What's Up, and Musa K. Turai in the Gambia says, Uganda is the most improved team for me, and Mamadou Turai also in the Gambia agrees. That's the view too of Abdullahi in the Gambia saying, I would surely go for Uganda. They qualified for the Nations Cup for the first time in 39 years. I think this is a great improvement, says Abdullahi. Robertson in Cameroon agrees with many other of our writers this week when he says, I think Senegal has really got it going. Lamine Drama in the Gambia agrees, saying, I'll say Senegal because they've moved upwards in the African rankings to become number one and they qualified to the World Cup after some years. Also, they have the highest number of professional players in Africa, says Lamine.、Uh, they're pointing to the many Senegalese players in the top leagues of Europe. In Sierra Leone, Jesse Rando says Senegal is the most improved team in Africa. And from Malawi, Gift Chipanda agrees. Also picking Senegal are Al Fusaini Jaju and Ebrima Mari in the Gambia. There's also strong support for North African sides. And Sonny Armstrong in Cameroon says Morocco's improvement in 2017 was phenomenal. Quarter finalists at the Africa Cup of Nations in Gabon and getting through the World Cup qualifiers where they beat Cote d'Ivoire to make it. Coach Hervé Renard's made the squad the real deal on the continent. Their group in Russia might be tough, but Morocco is ready to surprise the world, says Nsonyi. And another team I'd add to the list is Egypt. The Pharaohs have made giant strides. I think the power base of African football is in the north, says Nsonyi. Saiku Umar in the Gambia agrees, saying, For me, Morocco is the most improved team. Ebrima also in the Gambia agrees, as does Sajo, who's in the Gambia too. Gemo, a Cameroonian living in the United States, picks the Super Eagles, saying a lot of national teams have stepped up their game, but personally, I'll say Nigeria looks the most improved side, especially when you compare it with last year's disappointment. Nigeria looked outstanding during the World Cup qualifiers, says Germo, and they showed real class in their recent friendly against Argentina. The team has an exciting blend of youth and experience. I hope they can carry this form forward to the World Cup next year. 
And to finally, here's Basiru Salah in the Gambia, who finds much encouragement for several African sides. I think Morocco has improved a lot by recruiting new players to the team, says Basiru. For Senegal, it's never a surprise for me and many football lovers to see them climbing up the rankings. Uganda did extremely well. They play beautiful football and their strikers can score goals. So they are my tip for the most improved team of 2017, says Basiru. Well, thank you very much for all of those comments. Uh, always fantastic to hear from you here on Planet Sport Football Africa, the show brought to you by Passion for Sport. Well, now let's focus on the English Premier League. Our European football expert, Stuart Weir, still with us. Uh, Liverpool, an impressive 4-0 win at Bournemouth on Sunday, Stuart. And uh, while they have dropped some valuable points in recent games, you have to say when they win, they win well. Yes, this is the ninth time in succession that Liverpool in all competitions have won by three clear goals and Mo Salah from Egypt scored and that was his 14th league goal of the season which is more than anyone else in the Premier League. It's also interesting that Salah has had more shots on target than every Premier League player except for Harry Kane so clearly that's where his goals are coming from. But it was a weekend that didn't help us a lot with the league table because Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool and Arsenal all won, so there's no change at the top. Manchester City beat Tottenham 4-1 to underline the gap between them and the rest. You know, Tottenham, at the beginning of the season, were potential champions. They're now seventh and 21 points behind Manchester City. City's league record, of course, is now 1-17 drew one, lost none, and in fact their only defeat this season was in a Champions League game at Shakhtar Donetsk in Ukraine when they had nothing at stake, having already won the group and qualified. Now going to the other end of the table, West Ham and Crystal Palace both won to lift themselves out of the bottom three. And for Palace, the Advorian Wilfred Saha scored as they beat Leicester 3-0, and for the second game in succession, Bakary Sako from Mali came on as a late substitute and scored. And when I say late, Steve, I mean late. In the midweek game, he scored in the 89th minute, and against Leicester, it was the 90th minute. And now that leaves Sako with a rather odd statistic that he has scored more Premier League goals this season than he has started games two goals and one start plus nine appearances off the bench. The game also saw Leicester's Nigerian Wilfred Ndidi seeing a red card, picking up two yellows, the second one for simulation or diving. Newcastle have also slipped into the bottom three after a run of nine league games where they've drawn one and lost eight, writing on the wall for them perhaps. And finally, Gareth Barry, now at West Brom, became the oldest person to score against Manchester United for 10 years. Barry is 36 years and 10 months old, but United still won the game 2-1. <laughs> so Gareth Barry doing well at the age of 36. There's a full programme of English Premier League matches this weekend and a games again next Tuesday. And Stuart, something very serious in football is the issue of dementia, where there are concerns that some former players in England and elsewhere have been affected by dementia, which has a range of symptoms affecting the function of the brain. 
I watched a very interesting TV programme on this the other day where England legend Alan Shearer looked into this and spoke to the daughter of Jeff Astle, a player with West Brom back in the 1960s and 70s, uh, who died in 2002 at the age of 59 and had dementia. His family strongly believe his brain was affected by repeated heading of the ball. And there are other players who could have been affected too, but uh, Stuart, it hasn't been proved. Steve, there's often debate as to whether heading the ball may have any kind of adverse effect on players. And the Football Association of England and the Professional Football Association, effectively the Players' Union, have appointed William Stewart at the University of Glasgow to do some research into this. It's research into the incidence of degenerative neurocognitive disease in ex-professional footballers. That means basically brain damage leading to risk of dementia. They've been asked to address the question, is the incidences of degenerative neurocognitive disease more common in ex-professional football than among the population generally? And uh, certainly when you go back in time when there was a leather ball which got heavier as the game went on, this was a real issue, probably less now in the modern game, but we don't actually know. So the research is focusing on answering that question as to whether footballers are more likely to suffer long-term brain injuries than the general population. And this will only be known by looking at approximately 15,000 former professional footballers and comparing their brain data with that of the general population. Now, this is something which could have massive implications for the game because if their conclusions are positive, one could see a restriction in heading and certainly a restriction in heading among young players, schoolboys and so on. So, uh, It'll take some time for the data to come out, but this could be very significant for the future of football. Yes, we'll be following that story. Thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. Uh, Back next week with a review of 2017. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare from Solomon Ashams in South Africa and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. We wish you a happy Christmas if you're celebrating. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.